morning, church family, and Happy New Year. It's, it's amazing how quickly the year's gone by. I mean, the older I get, the years just keep flying by, and next thing you know, it's the years have passed. And uh, 2019 is just right around the corner, and uh, what an incredible thing. And as I was praying about what we should preach on this Sunday, because we're going to be taking a, a, a break out of John for another probably five weeks. Next week will be a blessing uh, Sunday, then we're going to preach on eldership after that for about four weeks. But uh, it's just whatever, is, whatever my mind and heart is immersed with, usually what comes up, you know, when I'm praying. And as a staff, you know, during our staff devotions, we've been going through Nehemiah. Nehemiah is an incredible book on leadership. And as, as I thought to myself, what could be better as, as we assess 2018 or even look back a little bit further, assessing where we're at in life. How is our spiritual life right now? Are we happy? Are we pleased with it? Or can you see some areas of improvement? And there's no doubt some, all of us are leaders in some capacity. I mean, if, you, if you're a man with a family, you're the pastor of your home. If you're a mother, you're, you're shepherding your children. And all of us have given, been given some sort of influence, some so, sort of uh, capacity to lead. So in some form or fashion, we're called to lead. And as we look into the life of Nehemiah, we get to see how Jesus leads. And, and in essence, why we study the Bible is to know Christ more. So we love him more. So we become more like him. And so I, I really believe that Nehemiah chapter 2, where we're going to be in today, and um, it's going to give us incredible practical insight on how to lead, but also give us insight into Christ Jesus, our Lord. And then the more we know him, I, there's no doubt we love him more. And so where we're going to be is in Nehemiah. Nehemiah is in the Old Testament. Okay, if you went to Psalms, you went too far, or Job, you went too far, it's before that, to the left of that. Nehemiah. And so before we go, though, let me just pray. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time. Just thank you, God, for how we get to just worship you, Lord Jesus. I thank you from the singing to the children's message to the sermon itself. It's about you, Jesus. And I thank you for the guests that are here, Lord, that have come. Perhaps they're coming looking for hope. God, I just pray that you would encourage all of us, Lord, in your Son, Jesus Christ, who gives us ultimate hope. Lord, give us a glimpse, a greater glimpse into your son, because as we know your son more, we know you more, Father. So, Father, show us the type of leader that Nehemiah was, and that's just showing us the type of leadership that Jesus provides. Help us to love your son more. So, Spirit of God, I pray, Lord, for the saints in here to be edified, to be built up in you through the preaching of your word. So, thank you, Father. May you be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to be in Nehemiah chapter 2, but before we read the text, just a little bit of context. The year is 445 B.C., 445 years before Jesus walked the earth, took on flesh, and walked amongst men. The Babylonian Empire was in control. That was the world power. Then now the Persian Empire is now in control. Babylon has fallen. Now Persia is in control. The king, the most powerful man on the planet at this time, is King Artaxerxes. Artaxerxes is a son of Xerxes. Xerxes' second wife that some of us may know is a woman named Esther. 
Okay, orphan girl named Esther, Jewish orphan girl named Esther. A whole book is written about Esther, how God used Esther to save the Jewish people. And Nehemiah was the cupbearer to King Artaxerxes. Cupbearer, he was a trusted servant of Artaxerxes. And God put this burden on in Nehemiah's heart. Nehemiah was an exiled Jew as Babylon took over. Babylon brought forward a lot of the Jewish Hebrews into, into Babylon. Persia took over. Nehemiah is one of these people. Nehemiah had this burden, and he was placed in a specific time and place for this. Jerusalem was absolutely destroyed. The walls were down. Okay, and Nehemiah had a burden from God to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And a couple waves have gone back. The temple has been rebuilt now. The second wave went back. Now Nehemiah is going to lead a third wave back into Jerusalem, this time to rebuild the walls. And this is the, the context of what we're reading in Nehemiah chapter. So let's rise as we turn to Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 11. We're going to be reading from verse 11 through 20. And Nehemiah has just arrived into Jerusalem. After getting uh, the okay from the king, this is what happens here. Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 11. So I came to Jerusalem and was there for three days. And I arose in the night and a few men with me. I did not tell anyone what my God was putting into my mind to do for Jerusalem, mind or heart. And there was no animal with me except the animal in which I was riding. So I went on at night by the valley gate in the direction of the dragon's well and on to the refuse gate, inspecting the walls of Jerusalem, which were broken down and its gates were consumed by fire, rubble, ruins. Then I passed on to the fountain gate and the king's pool, or the pool of Siloam. But there was no place for my mount to pass. So I went up at night by the ravine and inspected the wall. Then I entered the valley gate again and returned. The officials did not know where I had gone or what I had done, nor had I yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials, or the rest who did the work. Verse 17. Then I said to them, You see the bad situation we are in that Jerusalem is desolate and its gates burned by fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem so that we will no longer be a reproach. I told them how the hand of my God had been favorable to me and also about the king's words which he had spoken to me. Then they said, let us arise and build. So they put their hands to the good work. But when Sambalat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite official and Jeshem the Arab heard it, they mocked us and despised us and said, what, are, what is this thing you are doing? Are you rebelling against the king? So I answered them and said to them, the God of heaven will give us success. Therefore, we his servants will arise and build. But you have no portion right or memorial in Jerusalem. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your words in Nehemiah. Give us greater insight to the greatness of who you are. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Please have a seat. So this is the situation. Jerusalem, the holy city, the capital of Israel is, is, is laid in ruins. The temple is there now, but there is no wall. That means that this, is, this city is absolutely susceptible for attack by enemies. 
There is no security in the city anymore, and the place looks like a, a wasteland. Okay, the once proud city of, uh, of Jerusalem is laid in rubble. This is a situation that uh, Nehemiah steps into. And the Bible says that Nehemiah was there for three days. He rested. It took, it took Nehemiah approximately 900 miles to travel from Susa into Jerusalem. This was a long journey. So he was tired. He did the wise thing. He, he rested and reloaded three days before uh, going on this expedition to see how bad the damage is. All right, so he rested. He got a clear vision before charging forward. In the next couple of verses, says, he went out at night and assessed the damage at hand. And this is a massive challenge, and Nehemiah understood this, but he wanted to know firsthand what he had to do. And as I, as I studied this, how much wall did he need to build? You know, commentators believe it's approximately about two miles worth of massive wall that Nehemiah was charged to rebuild in Jerusalem. Two miles. And this, these weren't just wooden picket, like wooden fences that he had to put up now or posts. These are massive, massive stones that they had to put up. Being in Jerusalem, you can see these stones, huge, huge stones. You can see the woman on the bottom, how big each stone was, massive stones. And Jerusalem sits on top of the, a hill. So oftentimes, you're, as you read the Bible, people traveled. They, they, oftentimes, the Bible said we traveled up to Jerusalem. Okay, it was a higher elevation. And there's, therefore, there's, a val, there's valleys surrounding Jerusalem all over. So as the Babylonians came and conquered Jerusalem, and they tore down the security system, the wall, what did they, what did they do? They just simply got the stones and heed these massive stones down the valley. So Nehemiah had to figure out how to, A, replace the stones, or how to bring these massive stones from the bottom of the valley up to Jerusalem. And this is no easy task now. And as I think about this massive task that Nehemiah was going under, I can't help but think about my own life. Okay, as I assessed 2018, and even as a, as a family yesterday, we just went through what, what has our life been like since we've uh, discerned the call of the Lord to move out of Washington and come down to Evergreen SGV. So as a family, we talked about how God is taking care of us, how God has been gracious to us. We also talked about the hardships too, the challenges. And as I think to back to my own life, I, I, I throw this question out to our church family. As you assess 2018, what specific areas of life need to be rebuilt in your life? I mean, how's, how's the marriage right now? Is he or she your best friend? Can you say that? How's the communication? How's the intimacy between the two of you? Can you just look at him or her and say, yes, you are my best friend. You're my greatest helpmate. How's the relationship with the children and raising up with the children? Are they walking with the Lord? Do they love Christ Jesus? These are the things that we need to ponder. How is your relationships with friends and family? How are these things going? Are, are, are they strong, built-up walls, beautiful stones stacked up on one another, strong and fortified, or are they lying in rubble? Are these huge stones, these massive pillars that should be in place in your life, are they all scattered on the ground? How's your work life going? Are you honoring God in your work life, walking with integrity, giving full effort? 
honoring your, your bosses, honoring those who serve under you? Do you need to work on your fitness and health? I mean, how's, how's your physical condition even doing? That's important. Finances, ministry life, it's, it's, it goes on. I think these, these are incredible checkpoints, so I'm grateful for New Year's and end of New Year's because they serve as certain checkpoints along the ways. Otherwise, we just go on life without even assessing or checking out how things are in our life, and we just keep moving on before you know it. Decades have passed by. And I, th- I think we're in a constant uh, struggle to con- constantly compete in our spiritual life and how Christ Jesus actually influences all these areas of our lives. I'm in there too. I mean, I'm right in the thick of it, trying to raise four children, you know, trying to grow in my marriage as well. I mean, this is life. We are under construction. Just like Nehemiah surveyed and assessed the damage, we need to look at that. We need to see where, where we're at in our lives. So this is a massive challenge, massive challenge that Nehemiah, Nehemiah was a cupbearer living in the palace at one time. He was saying, wow, what did I just take on? What did God burden me to do? Second thing that Nehemiah did was he, he, he assessed the condition of the people. Where were the people at? Because he, he wasn't going to be able to load these uh, big massive stones by himself and stack it up by himself. He needed the people to come on board with the, the vision that God gave him. Nehemiah 1.3 says that people were in great distress and they were in reproach. They were a disgrace. They felt ashamed. Distress. Why were they distressed? Well, first of all, they're a conquered people. They no longer were their own, their own nation. Babylon had them. Now Persia had them. And then Greece will have them. And then Rome will have them. The Israeli people will be under distress for a long time. But right now, they're discouraged people without hope. And evidently, multiple attempts have been made to rebuild the walls. Perhaps two other attempts before Nehemiah showed up. So this is like a, a failed project, one after another. So the people were depressed. No king, they had no king to speak of, no leadership, no vision for the future. Just lying, just their lives were emblematic of the walls, just lying in ruins. So these were very discouraged people. Maybe that's you today. Perhaps the, 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 the issues of your life, issues with hard relationships, issues with physical issues have left you hopeless and depressed in a very difficult place, perhaps. But Nehemiah was a new man, new, had a new set of eyes. He wasn't living in Jerusalem. He came out of the palace. God burdened his heart. He came down to uh, Jerusalem, and he sees hope. He sees a whole different vision that God's given in the people that were sitting there. New perspective, new work that he was called to do. And as you lead, we talked about leadership, Right? The role that you have with your family and friends and other people that God's placed under your influence. What is the condition of your people? What will the attitude be as you, as you suggest certain improvements? Will they be, uh, we've already tried this before? Perhaps some of the Israelites were thinking this. We already tried to rebuild the wall. Too many enemy and opposition showed up. Is it too hard? No, this is just too hard what you're talking about. Or she or he will never change. No, I, I tried, never. She won't ever change. Or my children are too old. They're not going to listen anymore. I lost my time with them. I, that window has passed. My influence has passed. Is that perhaps the, the condition of your people? Maybe you're the one who's discouraged and just really won't want to move forward with this. 
And these are some critical things that Nehemiah is assessing here. What is the condition of the wall? What is the condition of the people? All right? And there's another challenge that Nehemiah had to overcome. And as you notice, in verse 12, it says that he went out at night. All right? He went out at night with a few trusted men to survey the wall. He didn't come with, a, with pomp and circumstance. He went out at night. He went out at night. He was the only one writing something because he was an official. Everyone else walked. This was a covert uh, operation, special ops missions, where he's trying to figure out what is actually the condition of the wall. Why did he do that? And then it goes on to say in verse 12, he didn't tell anyone what God has burdened him to do. He kept it to himself. He did not disclose his plans. Why? Why did he not just come out and say, this is what we're doing? Let's every one of us take a look at the condition of the wall. Well, one reason, the people are incredibly frail and discouraged. They didn't want to discourage the people anymore. They knew the situation. All right? But another reason is this. In verse 19, we, we heard how Sanballat, Tobiah, and Jeshem were adversaries to the Jews rebuilding the wall. They mocked at them. They sneered at them. So they had opposition from the outside. And so what, what, what is Nehemiah's issue? He has to rebuild the wall, and it's absolutely decimated. Second, the people, the people's hearts need to be rebuilt to do this work. Thirdly, he has opposition. I mean, just, let's just be clear about this. You will always have haters around you. I mean, that's life. You will have haters around you constantly. Nehemiah, the Israelites, the Jews of Jerusalem had haters Namely, Sambalat, Tobiah, and Jeshem. The enemy does not want you to live the abundant life. Enemy wants you to be beat down and make you feel like the world is greater than your God. That is the enemy's desire. Chapter 6, it says that Tobiah, one of these men, was actually related to people in Nehemiah's camp through marriage. He had friendships and unions. So Nehemiah had to keep this to himself. He didn't want this, his, this intelligence to get leaked out to the enemy. He was very shrewd and understood this thing. He needed to have a clear vision and capture the hearts of the people before just disclosing what was going to happen. He wanted to minimize the noise. He didn't want to give the enemy extra fuel or ammunition to attack. All right, And so this, this is just like in our life. We need to expect opposition. There will be haters everywhere. This is just life. You need to expect opposition whenever you are going to do something good for the Lord. You got to expect opposition. It could come from the outside, like Sambalot and these guys. It could, become, it could come from the outside. Or what's more difficult is it could come from within. Your own families, the church, other friends, other people that at work that you deal with constantly. Those are harder. I mean, it's one thing to say, okay, the culture is bent against Christ, Jesus. It's one thing to say, hey, these, uh, these people that we don't know are, are against us. That's different, but it's a whole lot harder when you're related to these people. Some of these people are related to Tobiah, the Bible says. It's harder when it comes from within. Charlotte and I, my wife and I, were, you know, as we approached 2019, we we're going to take a planning retreat. And it dawned on me that, you know what, ever since the move, we, we've just been on the go, going and going and going and going. And he says, look, Charlotte, we need to get together. We're going to get away for a couple of days and just pray over our, how our condition of our family is. 
pray of our own spiritual lives. And then plan out, map out what this 2019 perhaps could be. Perhaps how we could strategically plan and use the time and our resources the way to move us in certain ways, to move us, to grow us in our, in our spiritual life, in our marriage, and with our children, and just in general. These are, these are some things that we could all do to get together, just assessing the issues, just like Nehemiah did. Take time. He took three days to rest. He took time to assess the situation before even engaging the people. He had, he had a thought here. And this is a massive challenge, as we talked about, massive stones to move. Heart transplants that needs to take place in the people, and there is opposition. This is a massive plan. And I just want to take this time to really dive into Nehemiah. All right, Nehemiah. What would possess? All right, this is a, this is a very good question, clear question. What will possess a man to leave the palace to come to this area of Jerusalem? He had a good job. He had a good job. He was in the most opulent palace in the world. The king, Artaxerxes, trusted him, trusted him enough to go out and rebuild a wall. A wall was a military uh, move. He trusted him. All right, Nehemiah, I trust you. You're not going to plan some kind of uh, uh, revolt against me and build this after building this wall. I trust you to do this. Nehemiah was liked and trusted by his boss, the most, and he happened to be the most powerful man in the planet at the time. What would possess a man like Nehemiah to do this? Well, verse 12, I want to read this. Very clear. What my God was putting into my mind or heart to do for Jerusalem is what possessed him. God himself put this burden in his heart. I have to do this. I have to do this. I can't just stay here. I have to leave the palace and go help my people out because they're in a tough situation. The city of my fathers, I have to go rebuild this. God put it in his heart to do this. It starts with God. It starts with the burning conviction that God gives us. And Nehemiah was one of the great leaders of the Bible. And leaders, in essence, what leadership is is serving others. Jesus taught this to us. Nehemiah is serving the people, and he had a huge responsibility. And he saw this as a great challenge. But great challenges aren't negative things. All right, so if you're in a situation where I describe, man, Rocky, you don't understand how hard it is at home. You don't understand what it's like at work. You don't understand what it's like dealing with my extended relatives. Right? Many of us got done visiting with relatives that we probably don't see all year round, but for Christmas, you don't understand. But I'll tell you, leaders see great challenges, a great opportunity to lead. Those are great opportunities. If there weren't great challenges, we wouldn't need great leaders. These are opportunities for leaders to show yourself. And this is what Nehemiah does. And I'm really going to really drill in on verse 17 and 18. There are some ridiculous treasures in here in leadership. Just these two verses, 17 and 18. And I just wanna, I'm going to take time to just really drill out five points of emphasis out of those two verses. Okay? The first thing he does at verse 17, how does he capture and rebuild the hearts of the people? This is the biggest thing. It wasn't the stones. It wasn't the opposition outside. It starts with, within. How do you reconstruct the heart, your heart perhaps if it's torn down, or the hearts of the people that you're called to lead? Let's, let's, let's take a look on how Nehemiah does this. This is brilliant. Verse 17, Then I said to them, 
This is Nehemiah speaking to the people for the first time. They didn't know what was going on. You see the bad situation we are in. That Jerusalem is desolate and its gates burned by fire. What, the, the, what this great leader does, Nehemiah, he tells them that the truth, he gives them the truth in love where they're at. He didn't say it's, just gonna, it's, it's, it's all good, it's fine. Give it enough time and it's going to be just okay. He didn't say that. He said, you're in a bad spot. We're, you're in a bad situation. Jerusalem is desolate, desolate, it's ruined, gates are burned down, we're open uh, a game for our enemies to attack us, completely exposed. After assessing your situation, will you be honest with the people that you're called to serve? Nehemiah was honest. Hey, look, my brother, you, you're entangled in this sin. Look, my brother, I don't know, like, you're doing awesome at the workplace, but how are you leading your wife and your children to love Christ Jesus? How's that happening? I don't see it. I mean, obviously, these are perhaps private conversations, right? You're not saying this out loud to everyone, but these are private, prayerful conversations that you're going to have with your friends. Your children, who's, in, who's the greatest influence in their lives? Is it the iPhone? Is it some coach? Is it, is it somebody? Or are you the greatest influence? I mean, these are real things that leaders do. Say, hey, look, open your eyes. This is what's going on. Fresh perspective. Sometimes if you're caught in this moment, this mire, this, 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 with a bunch of rubble around you, it's hard to see it. You kind of get used to it. You kind of get used to it. And he goes, ah, I'm able to cope in this situation. But somebody outside goes, whoa, whoa, whoa. This is not right. This is not the Christian life. This is not the abundant life that Jesus talks about. Leaders speak the truth in love. Nehemiah clearly spoke to them the truth. Number two, look how he says this though in verse 17. I'm going to reread some of 17 again. Then I said to them, you see the bad situation we are in. Notice he says we. He didn't say you are in. We are in. That Jerusalem is desolate, its gates burned by fire. Come, let us, not let you, let us. He's part of this. Let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem so that we, again, we, Nehemiah is part of this group, will no longer be a reproach. Nehemiah is no longer seeing himself as a cupbearer of the king. He is us and we. We're in this together. Nehemiah identifies with the people. Not only does Nehemiah tell them the truth, he identifies with because this is the situation we're in. We're in a tough situation. This is what we have to do. This is God called us to do. Right? This is he identifies. He he's no longer thinking about the palace. He didn't send emails or just call, phone calls or texts from the palace in Susa and say, "Hey, this is what you got to do. I'm with you." No, no, no. He physically showed up, left the palace, and got down and dirty with the people, got his hands in the dirt, and started working with the people. Nehemiah was absolutely relentless. He lived it out. Because I, we're part of this. Any good leader identifies with the people. This is what leaders do. This is what we need to do. We need to see it's our problem. It's not you got the problem. No. If you're in a marriage and your spouse is struggling, it's your problem. Two becomes one flesh. 
All right, if you got any brothers or sisters out in the workforce that's cheating and lying, it ain't their problem, it's our problem because I, God providentially allowed me to understand and know what's going on. It's our problem. We could get through this together. This is what great leaders do. This is how great leaders are building teams together. This is what we're doing as a staff here at Evergreen SGV. This is what we do together. Everyone has a role. And, I, and, and here's just a leadership principle as we all grow. If you want something, you give it to the people. What do I mean by that? If you want loyalty from your people, you give them loyalty. You be loyal to your people. If you want your people to be hardworking, you work hard. You be diligent. Attack your work like no other. Live it out. If you want dedication, you be dedicated to the people. If you want trust, if you want to engender trust in people, you trust the people that you have. This is leadership. This is what it's done. So Nehemiah told him the truth. This is how he proceeds how to rebuild the hearts of the people. Nehemiah identified with the people. I'm with you. I'm not with the king's palace anymore. I'm with us. We're together to do this. Third thing, what did Nehemiah do in chapter, uh, verse 17? He says, come, second part of 17, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem. He had a plan. This is what we're going to do. Yes, we're not in a good spot, but we're going to rebuild the wall. He had a clear vision, clear plan, and tells them what needs to be done. Do you have a vision for your people? Okay, it's one thing to recognize, all right, this is not right. Do you have a clear vision for your people? How are you going to help rebuild the walls in their lives? Do you have a vision? Nehemiah had a clear vision. Nehemiah had a clear vision. But Nehemiah also is going to strike heavy now and deep. He's going deep on this next point here. It's... It isn't good enough that you're able to assess the issue and tell them the truth. It isn't good enough to say, hey, I'm with you. It isn't good enough that I have the answer on what to do. You have to motivate the people. How does Nehemiah motivate the people? Look at here, verse 17. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem. Here it is. Why? Why, Nehemiah? Why should I do this? Why? So that we will no longer be of reproach, the Bible says so that we will no longer be of reproach. What does this word reproach mean? This word reproach means disgrace, shame, target of taunts by the enemy. And really, the people represented God, the God of Israel, the God of the Bible. And, and Israel, Jerusalem, was the holy city. This is where the temple sat. This is where the holy of holies was during that time. This is, this is that place. And as I studied up on just that, we call it the ancient Near East, you know, during ancient Middle Eastern times, there were many gods, right? You you know the ones, like when Elijah battled Baal, even Pharaoh in Egypt, they had a bunch of gods, right? The frogs and the Nile, all that stuff. Remember, even Pharaoh considered himself to be a god. I mean, there were just countless gods. So in essence, if an enemy force is able to conquer your city, that was basically a battle of the gods. Whose God is going to win? Is your God strong enough to keep our God from uh, destroying you? And just by the, the evidence of things, evidently the Babylonian God was greater than the God of the Bible, perhaps. So the people, not, it wasn't really about the people's shame. This was a dishonor to God. 
And Nehemiah attacks their very identity and confronts their very identity. Hey, look, we are a reproach to God. We're a disgrace for God, for all the surrounding people. We have to do this. You talk about motivation. Nehemiah understood how to do this. I mean, just I'm going to give you one biblical example to talk about. Uh, I'll read it first. Exodus 14. This is when the Israelites uh, are fleeing from uh, Pharaoh, and they're stuck at the Red Sea now. All right, they're stuck at the Red Sea, and then God's going to part the Red Sea, put a pillar of fire behind them so they could cross and, and defeat the Egyptians for, one, uh, for, for the last time. And remember, right now, Pharaoh is pursuing after the Israelites. Pharaoh thinks himself as a god, and this is the reason why God does this. Verse, uh, chapter, Exodus 14, 17. As for me, God is speaking, behold, I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they will go in after them. And I will be honored through Pharaoh and all his army through his chariots and his horsemen. Verse 18, look what happens here. Then, this is God speaking, the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I am honored through Pharaoh, through his chariots and his horsemen. See that? It was always about God's honor. It was always about God's glory. Even in that situation, it was to prove to the Egyptians that, no, 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 it isn't the frog God. It isn't the Nile God. It isn't your king God who's God. I am God. I'm going to show you who's more powerful. So in essence, as we live out our lives, is it about God's honor? Are you demonstrating to people as you exercise impeccable integrity while everyone else is cheating around you to say, no, this, is the, this honors my God. I'm going to do it God's way and just trust God to the results up to him. It's a spiritual battle that we're in. This isn't just where it's about you. This is about God's honors ethic. If you call yourself a Christian, if you see yourself as a follower of Christ and you know you are, you're representing the king of the universe and how we live. Right? What a weighty responsibility. So Nehemiah draws on that and says, look, this is about God's honor. We have to rebuild the wall. This isn't about just protection or just so our city could look great. This is about God's honor is at stake. It's a battle of the gods. Fifth thing, fifth and final thing, found out of verse 18 here, Nehemiah chapter 2, 18 now. Going back to Nehemiah. That's great. Nehemiah told him the truth. Nehemiah identified with the people. Nehemiah had a plan. Nehemiah gave him the motivation. And fifth and finally, Nehemiah gives them encouragement to do this. Let's read verse 18. I told them, Nehemiah is talking here, I told them how the hand of my God had been favorable to me and also about the king's words which he had spoken to me. Nehemiah says, God is with us. This is God's plan. This isn't about me. This is not about you. The God of the universe is financing this whole adventure to rebuild this wall. And before that, in chapter 1, Nehemiah was just praying and praying. This man was a man of prayer. He was seeking God and asking God, begging God to be gracious and to the people of Jerusalem. Nehemiah knew where his power source is at. It was God himself. He was praying. He was a man of prayer. And some of the outworkings of God's grace and favor in this whole situation is this. The king, the king's words were favorable to Nehemiah. 
God was turning the heart of King Artaxerxes to support this plan that God had put into his heart. Remember, this is a massive display of trust by Artaxerxes to allow him to rebuild this wall. This is, a, like I said, this is not just an aesthetic thing. This is a military deal, this, this wall. And Artaxerxes says, all right, I trust you, Nehemiah. You're one of the most trusted people that I have around me. I trust you. This is important to you. I want to support it. And even in, in, in verse 20, when, when, the, when, the, when the opposition, Tobiah, Am, um, Sambalot, and Jeshem uh, mock Nehemiah, this is Nehemiah's response. So I answered them and said to them, in verse 20, the God of heaven will give us success. All right, you could talk all the trash you want, but God is with this thing. Look at the encouragement that Nehemiah gives to the people. It's about God. And any godly leader points to Jesus, points his people to Jesus. That's how it works. No godly leader points himself or resources or even the king, Artaxerxes. It starts with God. Nehemiah said, look to God. God is the one that's with us. So as you're thinking about your situation right now, it isn't you, it isn't your associations, it isn't circumstances that's going to change the situation, the heart of the people that you're working with, you're leading. It's God. God is the one that you come to in prayer. God is the one that you put confidence in. God is the one that you direct the people that you lead to look to. That's how it works. If you just redirect their hearts and ideas to, okay, a degree, okay, you'll get a better job, don't worry about it, don't worry. If you work out enough, you'll get fit, don't worry about it, you'll be fine. Those are all sinking sand. Jesus said, if you built your house on the sand, you're just going to fall in ruins. Our job is to have people look to Christ Jesus and look to him as our hope. This is how it works. So this is what happened. 52 days later, in only 52 days, God does the miraculous and the walls rebuilt. Two miles of walls. Are you kidding me? Next to, right next to valleys. and How does he do this? God. And how did Nehemiah capture the hearts of the people? He told them the truth. Right? He identified with them. He didn't, he didn't talk from the palace. He was with the people. He said, this is us. This is what we got to get done. He had a clear plan. We have to build the wall. He motivated them. This is for God's honor. This is for God's glory. And fifthly, he encouraged them, saying, God is with us. God is the one that's going to get this done. So I started off saying this sermon here. I talked about this sermon as, as we learn about Nehemiah's leadership. We get to learn about how, how Jesus leads. And this is what this is about. We preach God's word. This is what we do from the pulpit. We preach the word. The Bible, by God's grace, I hope you understand the Bible a little bit more. But it isn't just to learn the Bible. It isn't just to learn some leadership principles. It's about giving you a glimpse into the type of leader Jesus is so that you will look to Jesus more, so you will love Jesus more. And if you love Jesus more, you'll become more like him. Your people will love him more. You naturally point to him. Let me just make some connections here before we end this sermon. It says this, what Nehemiah said, what God was putting into my mind and heart to do. Why did, why did he leave the palace? Why did Jesus leave the, his heavenly throne? I see some parallels here. Why did Jesus leave the throne? Just like Nehemiah, God the Father told him to do this. God put it in Nehemiah's heart to rebuild the wall. Leave Susa, go to Jerusalem, rebuild the wall. 
Okay, Lord. Son, leave the, this throne room. Take on human flesh and go die for your people. Go get your people. Jesus was obedient to the Father. Nehemiah was obedient to the Father. Nehemiah told the people that you are in a bad situation. Who also told us the truth? Jesus said, you are lost in your sin. You will perish if you die in your sin. He told us the truth. Jesus tells us the truth. Who, Nehemiah used the word language, us and we. Who also identified with the people? Bible says in John 1, 14, the, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus left the throne room and walked amongst his people. Jesus also embodied us and we. Nehemiah told the people, come, let us rebuild the wall. Right? He had a plan. But who also had a plan? Jesus says, simply believe in me. I came so you may have life and abundant life. Jesus had a plan. Nehemiah motivated the people saying, so that we will no longer be a reproach to God, to bring shame to God. Who also gave us this motivation? Because the, he loved us, we love him. Because we love him, we live for God's glory. This is what we do. Those of us who love Christ Jesus lives for God's glory. This is what we do. We want to make God look good in everything that we do. Everything that we do. We love him because he first loved us, the Bible says. Nehemiah told the people, because the hand of my God is with us. That's how he encouraged the people of Jerusalem who were just lying in the wasteland, desolate, waiting to get attacked again, waiting to get mocked at and, 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 and jeered and sneered at by people like Sambalat, Tobiah, and Jeshem. Jesus said, I am with you always to the end of age. Jesus said, I'm with you. You're not doing this alone. You, I'm going to be with you forever, Jesus says. And now that I'm going to send you the Spirit of God to live within you. So this is why we preach Nehemiah. This is why we preach Nehemiah's leadership because you clearly could see that this is how Jesus led. And then you could see how this is the God that we follow. Jesus, the good shepherd, leads us in this way. And I, I, I trust that through the preaching of this word that you will gain greater confidence in Jesus. You'll gain a greater love for Jesus because you know him more. You simply know him. The Bible reveals who God is. And that's Jesus Christ. Qu question before we end this sermon is, what has God burned in your hearts to do? This 2019, just, we're just days away from this year being over. What has God burned in your heart to do? What, how, how has God called you to lead? What areas of your life has God called you to refortify? Remember these things. This is how you capture the hearts. Your, first, your heart, all right? First, you have to be convinced. And this is how you capture the hearts of the people. You tell the people the truth in love. You identify with your people, us and we. You give them a clear plan after you're seeking the Lord. You give them motivation that it's about God's honor and God's glory. You give them encouragement that God is the one that will get this done, not you or me. So what has God burned in your hearts to do? Nehemiah built and the people built the wall in 52 days. 52 days. 
what can God do in your life in 52 days and beyond? So let's pray. Father, we thank you for Nehemiah. Thank you for, the, for this example of godly leadership. I thank you that, Lord Jesus, that you, Jesus, are the greatest leader of all. And thank you that we are following the right God. So God, I just pray that we will gain greater confidence in you, Jesus, that we will love you more, that we will trust you more, that we will become more like you. Help us to lead the way you do, Jesus. So we thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.